Good morning, Grace, and Merry Christmas. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. And while you're turning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lost something, broken something, or had something taken from you only to have something much better restored to you? Have you ever lost something, broken something, or have had, had, had something taken from you only to have a much better thing restored to you? As I consider that question, it makes me think of my Bible. So here's my Bible. This is an ESV legacy Bible put out by Crossway. And it is the best Bible. And I don't mean to say that the ESV is, is the best translation. I'm not trying to go into that battleground right here. But what I mean to say is that this particular Bible, the book part of the Bible, the ESV Crossway Legacy Bible is the best Bible. If you think that your Bible is better, then you're wrong. <laughs> the reason why this is the best Bible is it's the perfect size. It's the perfect weight. It has single column, so it, it's incredibly readable. You'll notice that off to the sides, there's plenty of margins. So you can write notes and underline things, insights, write prayers down if you so desire. It's good genuine leather, so it'll last a long time. The, the transparency of the paper is just right. And the weight of the paper is just right so that your reading experience is incredible. It is the best Bible. The reason that I say that is because Several years back now, I decided that I wanted to buy a little bit better Bible so that I could keep as a keepsake to one day pass down to my firstborn child. I wanted to write things in it and write prayers and underline and insights so that one day I could pass this on to my child. And they would go, oh, my wise father passed along his Bible and I'm so wise now as a result. But then... Uh, uh, that led me into over-researching what would be a good Bible on Bible design blogs and all sorts of things like that. And I walked away with this one, the best Bible. And then uh, Henry came along and I, with vigor, started writing in this Bible. I started writing prayers for Henry and little notes to Henry because one day this will be his Bible. I'll pass it on to him, present it to him, Maybe on his 18th birthday, it'll be so sweet. So I love this Bible. Um, people who know me know that I love this Bible. I, I protect this Bible. I keep it in a case and walk around with the case. I've actually broke the case multiple times. And so I've gotten in touch with Crossway and asked them if I could have new cases. And they were very concerned with that. And they were like, okay, I, I guess. And so they sent me new cases because they're so nice. And so I've done everything in my power to preserve this perfectly for my son, Henry. And then one day, I opened up my Bible to read, and boom. 
my heart shattered. I just can't tell you the, the heartache that occurred in me when this happened. I was crestfallen. All of my hopes for this Bible being passed on, it's broken. And so I emailed Crossway and I said, is there, look, this, this Bible is very important to me. Can you fix this? Like, it, it, I want to pass this on to my son. I've got all these notes in it. And they emailed me and they said, we're so sorry. We don't fix Bibles. But we can replace the Bible because we actually have a warranty and so we will replace that Bible for you. And I received that and, and I thought, wow, that's great that you stand behind your products, all of that. But this Bible has value to me beyond the fact that it's, it's just a physical Bible. I've written in it. I want to pass this on. Like, like I need this Bible to be fixed. And so I wrote back and tried to send a Hail Mary and said, I understand, but this is a very important Bible to me. It's, it's very sentimental. I want to pass it on to my son. So I can't send you that Bible and receive a new one. Is there any way you'd be willing to fix it? And they responded back and said, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. We won't take your Bible. We'll just give you a new one. And I thought, oh, wow. So like, you'll just send me a new Bible. And so I get to keep this one and maybe I can get it repaired somewhere else and pass it on to Henry. And then I kept reading and he said, oh, but your, your Bible's actually out of print. So we don't have that genuine leather version Bible, legacy Bible anymore. But we do have the next tier up, which is the ESV heirloom legacy Bible, <laughs> which is the Ferrari of Bibles, which is goat skin and has extra ribbons and it's Smithsown binding so that it'll last forever. It is the nicest Bible that you will ever hold in your hand. If you so desire, you can come up after the service and touch the leather <laughs> and, and it will amaze you. You will, all the people who think it's ridiculous that you care about this stuff, you will be changed in an instant once you see this Bible up close. And so... Not only did I get to keep my Bible, but Crossway graciously restored to me an even better Bible. Now, I tell you all of this because I think something similar is happening in the passage that we're going to be considering today. Today, in the scriptures, in Galatians 4, we're going to see God send his son to us so that we would have what was lost in the garden restored to us. That's good news. But not only that, he is going to give us something so much better. And so that's what we're going to consider today. I have a thesis statement for you so you'll know exactly what we're talking about. When Christ comes, hope himself comes. And he brings present and future hope for the hopeless. When Christ comes, hope himself comes. And he brings present and future hope for the hopeless. So there's a theme there that I hope you're getting. That is what we are going to be about today. We want to consider hope. I was just sitting over here scanning uh, the people who are here today and realize that there are a lot of you uh, who are dealing with some stuff. And I am praying for you and I am confident that the Lord desires to produce hope in you from his word. So that's what we're going to be aiming at today is in our time in the word. Three points. 
One, we were hopeless. We were hopeless. This passage says something about our past identity, who we were, and maybe who some of us are currently. And two, now we have a perfect hope. This passage also says something about our present reality, who we are today if we are in Christ. What do we possess today if we are in Christ? That's what we want to deal with in the second point. And finally, we're going to see where all of this is going. What is in the future for us who are in Christ? Our hope will become sight. Our hope will become sight. And yes, I am changing the words from 1 Corinthians there to suit my purposes. Hope will become sight. So if you're in Galatians 4, we're going to read from there. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Follow along with me, please. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word, needy, in need of hope, in need of an all-sufficient Savior, in need of your Spirit to carry us along. So we pray that you would speak to us and that you would produce in us that which you desire and it would be to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, the first thing we want to see in the Word this morning is that we were hopeless We were hopeless. So this passage is saying something about what characterized who we used to be, who we were formerly, and maybe who some of us are currently. Galatians 4 gives us several metaphors that help us to understand our former identity. For the next few minutes, I want us to focus on two of those metaphors. First, we were slaves, spiritual slaves. And second, We were orphans, fatherless, spiritual orphans. And so we want to see this in the text. Verse 5. Verse 5, I think, tells us that we were formerly slaves. It says that God sent forth his son, Jesus, to redeem those who were under the law. Formerly, being under the law characterized every person. It characterized Israel It characterized Gentiles, it characterized religious people, and it characterized non-religious people. It characterized every single person in this room formally. We were under the law. And verse 5 says that this is something we need to be redeemed from, something that we need to be freed from, something that we need to be brought out from. Galatians 5 clarifies what we're talking about here, and it says to be under the law is to be under the yoke of slavery. If we were to back up a few verses in Galatians 4, to be under the law is to be like a child who is under tutors or masters and has no ability to do what they desire. 
Galatians 4.3 says that to be under the law means that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The idea here being that before we knew Christ, we had a master and it wasn't a good master. These elementary principles were essentially the things that the world was built upon. Or first things like art, science, philosophy, literature, math, economy, relationships, those basic fundamental principles of the world. Things that aren't inherently bad, but things that aren't meant to become masters. And Paul's coming along and saying, you who were under the law, you were slaves to these things. Every one of you, slaves to these things. Or another way to put it, we were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. We did not possess freedom. Not free. Religious people were slaves to their self-sufficiency. You've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got to earn your way to God's favor. Non-religious, irreligious people were slaves to the things of this world that they set up as gods themselves, their, their family, wealth, riches, uh, career, whatever it may be. Slaves, every single one of us. Slaves to sin, under the law, and therefore under the curse of the law. So this is the first metaphor. What are we apart from Christ? Slaves, spiritual slaves. So this is bad. It's not good news. And it gets worse. Who else are we apart from Christ? The second metaphor that we get is that we're orphans. Formerly, we were orphans, spiritual orphans. So notice verse 5 again. We were redeemed from slavery. And we were redeemed to adoption. If we were adopted, then the implication is that we needed to be adopted. We were spiritual orphans. We had become so sufficiently alienated from God. There was enmity between us and God. We were enemies of God, separated from God, so that we could not claim to be in any sort of relationship with the God who created us for his purposes in his image. Estranged, fatherless, alone, far away. These are the images that Paul uses to describe who we were. What does this mean? Why does Paul use these metaphors? What's he getting at? I think he's making a simple and devastating point. Apart from Christ, formally before we knew Christ, we were hopeless. Hopeless. More specifically, we had no hope of a future. There's a real sense of hopelessness, I believe, in these images. Let's just consider them a little bit. Slaves. It's true that the sort of slavery that existed in the Roman Empire and the sort of slavery that existed in pre-Civil War United States, they were different. They're nuances. The, the sort of slavery we're seeing in Scripture is not based merely on race or ethnicity. There were pathways to freedom Nevertheless, even though there are nuances, even though there are differences, what we are dealing with here when talking about slavery in the New Testament or in the scriptures is an absolute abhorrent evil. Evil. There's no way around it. No matter how you nuance it, what we are dealing with here is evil. How did you become a slave? Usually, you were a prisoner of war. You were kidnapped and sold into slavery. 
You were born into it as a young child, born to a slave, and you became a slave. You sold yourself into slavery due to extreme poverty. Uh, Another way that you would enter into slavery is because people would practice a form of birth control where they would take young children and leave them out to be exposed to the elements, and then traffickers would come along, take those children, and sell them into slavery. Usually children were slaves. Slavery meant a complete loss of rights. If you were married, it severed the marriage tie. If you had a family, then it severed the familial tie. If you had business partnerships, they went away. If you had political affiliations, no more. You were treated well depending on your master. Some masters were not so kind. There were things put in place to protect you from the worst forms of of abuse. Nevertheless, sexual assault was fairly common amongst slaves. Slaves were regularly beaten. They were beaten, whipped in pretty extreme ways. They were often branded. To be a slave was not good. If you somehow were able to purchase your freedom, you were still obligated to your master to go back and serve in a variety of capacities for a certain amount of days per year, depending on the contract. Never quite truly got your freedom. Listen to to how two African-American slaves described the hopelessness of being enslaved. Frederick Douglass said this, I've often sung to drown my sorrow, but seldom to express my happiness. Crying for joy and singing for joy were alike uncommon to me while in the jaws of slavery. The singing of a man cast away upon a desolate island might be as appropriately considered as evidence of contentment and happiness as the singing of a slave. The songs of the one and the other are prompted by the same emotion. Fountain Hughes put it this way, you weren't any more than a dog to some of them in those days. You weren't treated as good as they treat dogs now. But still, I didn't like to talk about it because it makes makes people feel bad, you know. Um, I, I could say a whole lot I don't like to say, and I won't say a whole lot more. In this, as we consider slavery across the, the eras, we get the slightest picture of the hopelessness of being enslaved. Paul is saying that, that is who we were. That was who, our, who we truly were, were. That was our true identity. Our spiritual condition was that of slave. And that is who some of you are today, even. And once again, if that's not bad enough, we're also orphans. Spiritual orphans. Who were orphans in this time period? In these times, being an orphan wasn't any better than being a slave. In biblical times, there wasn't much social uh, mobile, um, there wasn't social upward mobility. And so if your parents were fishermen, then more than likely you'd be a fisherman. If your dad built houses, then you'd build houses. If you were a woman, then your family would arrange some sort of marriage and uh, find you a husband and a family in similar standing. So you'd pretty much be in the same sort of place in life. An orphan though, doesn't have 
a mother or a father. In other words, they didn't have anybody to provide their immediate needs, to love them or to give them food, and they didn't have anybody to teach them the skills necessary in life to be able to make it. They didn't have anybody to pass on the family business and they didn't have anybody to teach them how to swing a hammer or to tie a knot. They didn't have anybody to, to go and to, to make sure that your future was secure with another man or another family. To be an orphan was to have no family and to have no hope of a future. To be an orphan was to be stripped of an identity. Currently, there's somewhere around 80,000 orphans in Kazakhstan. That's a country in Middle East, Eastern Europe area of the world. And here's what one study ended up saying about the orphans there. The orphanages are ineffective. We know that providing food, clothes, and accommodation for a child means solving only half the problem. The children that are raised in orphanages are not ready for the adult and independent life when they grow up and leave. The orphanages cripple their souls and make them even unhappier. 70% of the boys raised in the system end up in jail, I should add, in organized crime, and 60% of the girls turn to prostitution. That's staggering. I know I'm being a bit heavy-handed here, but this is who the scriptures say that we are apart from Christ. These are the images that the Lord employs to help us to understand who we are apart from Christ or who we formerly were if we are in Christ. We were hopeless fatherless, enslaved, no hope of a future. And we need to feel that weight. Maybe you are feeling something of this hopelessness this Christmas season. You're feeling lost, discouraged, and you're feeling as if you are a spiritual orphan or slave. Maybe you're more aware of your family's dysfunction this Christmas season. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe you're experiencing sickness. Maybe a financial crisis is looming. You need to know this morning that hope is coming. Maybe you're living as if you are a slave or an orphan. You're submitting yourself to the yoke of slavery time and time again by going back to your sin and, for, and, and doing anything but repenting of that sin. You need to know that hope is coming. Maybe you're someone who doesn't know Jesus and these things describe you today. You are currently a spiritual slave. You are currently a spiritual orphan. Maybe not literally, but you are in bondage. And you are fatherless. And I have good news for you today. Hope is coming. The first thing we have to reckon with this morning is that formerly we were hopeless and had no hope of a future. And if we are not in Christ, then currently we are hopeless with no hope of a future. But God's objective hope has come. So second point this morning is that now we have a perfect hope. Now we have a perfect hope. Notice verse 4. 
But, best word in all of the Bible, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This Christmas, know this, we have a perfect hope. And please understand me, I do not mean to speak to that feeling of hope necessarily. No, rather our hope has appeared and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our objective hope. He is hope for the hopeless. At our recent Christmas concert, we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we added this extra chorus to that song. And it said, rejoice, rejoice. The savior of the world is born. Take heart, take heart, a weary soul, take heart. For help is on his way and holy is his name. In a similar way here, we could say hope is on his way and holy is his name. Jesus is his name. Same idea in another Christmas carol. Hope rings out in the newborn's cry. What this passage is saying in verse 4 is that Jesus is our hope. And it goes on to say that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. In other words, at the exact right time in human history, God sent his son. At the exact right time politically, at the exact right time culturally, at the exact right time theologically, God sent forth his son, the first Noel, the long expected Messiah. Emmanuel has come at last. Advent has dawned. And in this we see the wisdom of God, his perfect plan unfolding. But not only that, he's come in the exact right way. He was born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, God became man and in doing so, he uniquely, legally became qualified to become the savior of the world. And what did he come to do? Of course, many things. We've been considering the many things he came to do in this Christmas Advent series. But what does Galatians 4 say? Well, In verse 5, it tells us that he came to set us free. He came to redeem us from our spiritual slavery. We've referenced this word redeem already, but we need to camp here. What does redeem mean? It means to be set free or to be purchased from out of, to be purchased from slavery. The picture we get is one where Jesus enters into the slave market and he goes in and he sees us there on the auction block. He puts his money down and he says, mine. They will be mine. He is mine. She is mine. But wrapped up in this word redemption is cost. Is a great price. You don't just take a slave, you purchase a slave from out of their slavery. So wrapped up in this word redemption is Jesus's in our place, death upon the cross. Jesus came at just the right time in just the right way and became a curse for us so that we would not have to bear the curse of living under the law. Matthew Henry is a, Puritan and great commentator, I commend him to you, but he has a way of spinning a phrase and he said this about Galatians 4. He who is truly God 
for our sakes became man. And he who was Lord of all consented to come into a state of subjection and to take upon him the form of a servant. And one great end of all of this was to redeem those who were under the law, to save us from that intolerable yoke and to appoint gospel ordinances more rational and easy. Amen. Jesus came to set us free, Galatians 4 teaches. But here is where the passage gets really good. At the right time, in the right way, Jesus came to set us free, to redeem us. But is that it? Are we set free from the slave market only to go free as a freed person? Have we been expelled from the garden only to be brought back into the garden? That'd be good, right? I think we would all enjoy that. We would all love to be brought into the garden, to to live without the yoke of slavery around our necks, to be freed people, to enjoy those things that we lost in the fall. Of course. But that leaves us with a question. We're free from the yoke of slavery, but how do we relate to God? You see, our greatest need is to not merely be freed from slavery, but our greatest need is God himself. Verse five, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that you might receive adoption as sons. What I think we're seeing here is the most beautiful mixing of metaphors that we could ever imagine. Jesus came to redeem us from slavery. Typically when a person is redeemed from slavery, they're redeemed to being a freed person, right? God had something entirely better in mind. In Christ, he redeems us to sonship, to adoption as sons. What we're seeing here is the doctrine of adoption be put forward. That thing that Sinclair Ferguson said is the mainspring of Christian life. That thing that J.I. Packer calls the highest privilege that the gospel offers. He says it, is, it offers us a higher privilege than justification even does. He says that adoption is the heart of the gospel. What's being better than declared righteous and having peace with God, the judge, like we see in justification? Well, it's, being, it's knowing and being loved by God the Father, like we see in adoption. Adoption is a family idea. And as Packer says, it's conceived in love. In adoption, God takes us from the far ends of this earth and he gathers us together and he makes us his own. He makes us his family. Formerly, we couldn't be any more distant from God, but now because of Christ, we have been redeemed to a relationship that is characterized by closeness, tenderness, affection, and safety. Some of you are familiar with the idea of adoption. You know that it is not an easy process. It requires so much. It requires navigating the legal system. It requires suffering. It requires a financial cost. It requires an emotional cost, even sometimes a physical cost. It requires everything from us. Galatians 4 says that hope himself has come and he was willing to pay that cost 
so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God. So that you and I, by grace through faith, could experience the intimacy and affection and love of, a hev- of the heavenly father. Recently, uh, my best friend from back home in Birmingham, him and his wife, they just adopted three children uh, from the foster system. And uh, it was just a beautiful thing. We're so happy for them. But uh, the, the oldest sibling is a little bit older. And so they wanted to uh, tell her that they were going to be able to officially adopt her in a unique way. So on her birthday, they gave her a present, decided to record that present, uh, telling her about her impending adoption. So I want you guys to watch this. So this is Ivy Zizolka. That adoption is official. Um, some of you have actually maybe seen this video. It, it blew up on Facebook. It kind of went viral. Um, they actually got flown out to go on the Ellen show about a month ago, which was crazy. Uh, but nice because we got to go eat, and eat dinner on Ellen. Uh, so, um, But in this video... Uh, you see the moment, the moment that hope became a reality for Ivy. We see her longing heart be overcome with the reality that she will have a forever family and nothing can take that from her. Nothing. You see the emotion in her face, you see it in her parents' face. Longing heart satisfied. Grace, this is our story. If you are in Christ, this is your story. God looked upon us in our helpless estate. We were estranged and alienated from God. We were enemies of God, shaking our fist in his face, in his face enslaved to the passions of the flesh and the lust of our heart. And what did God do? He entered into the slave market. He entered into the orphanage. He redeemed us. He set us free and he made us his own. He brought us near to him. He washed us. He clothed us and he set us on our feet and gave us a place in his house. He said to us, you are mine and I am yours. Nothing can change that. No power of hell can change that. No 
cultural sand that shifts can change that. No, sin can separate you from being my child. I am your father and I love you and I will always love you. Grace, our perfect hope has arrived and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you can imagine, as good as this is, it gets even better. It gets even better. Jesus arrives and he changes how we presently relate to God. He changes our identity. He makes us into sons of God, free in Christ. But he also changes our future. That's what we're going to end today. Final point, our hope will become sight. Our hope will become sight. Let's read verses 6 and 7 again from Galatians 4. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I think these two verses give us insight to at least two benefits of our adoption as sons. First, we currently enjoy this spiritual adoption. It is a present reality and not something we have to wait for. So notice verse six, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Notice the past tense there. So what does adoption mean? It means that we have the Holy Spirit currently. It means that we have God with us. It means that Jesus made good on his word that he will be with us forever until the end of the age. Jesus resides in our heart by the Spirit. It's easy to imagine our spiritual adoption happening in some far off celestial courtroom and it has no bearing on our everyday regular life. These verses say differently. The Spirit comes and guides and leads and testifies to our adoption. The Spirit comes and is actively at work in causing us to be formed more and more into the image of Jesus. The Spirit works fruit of the Spirit in us, actively causing us to no longer live as slaves to the passions of our flesh. More and more forming us into the image of children of God, causing us to act more and more like children of God. And finally, the Spirit is sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Crying the very words that Jesus cried out to his heavenly Father. This is beautiful, breathtaking. It implies an incredible access to the heavenly Father. It it implies an incredible intimate relationship, the same sort of intimate relationship that Jesus has with his father that is now available to us. This is for you today. This is our present reality as sons of God. So there's a present benefit to our adoption, but there's a future benefit to our adoption as well. We are heirs because of Jesus because of the cross because of God's great love coming down we have a hope for the future you may have noticed that this passage doesn't say we've been adopted as sons and daughters I've tried to be careful to to keep that language 
this morning. I think it maybe slipped up a couple times, but that's intentional. That may seem sexist to you. That may seem like the scriptures are flattening the genders. Well, that's not the case. As is often the case, whenever we think that that the Bible is speaking in a sexist way, what is actually happening is scripture is radically subverting cultural expectations. And that's true here as well. When Paul wrote Galatians, firstborn sons received an inheritance. Not daughters, not children, not people who didn't fit into a very narrow set of qualifications. So what we see here is God turning the system on its head to express the privilege of our adoption, your adoption, my adoption. So like normal here, the scriptures are thwarting these cultural expectations. Galatians 4 is saying, regardless of who you are, If you are a child, if you are an adult, if you are a man, if you are a woman, if you are a slave, or if you are a free person, regardless of who you are, if you are in Christ, then you have been adopted and you will receive the rights of sons. So what does that mean? It means that you get an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. You get the riches of heaven. You get God forever. You get eternal life. You get glory. You get it all as if you were God's firstborn son. That is yours in Christ. You have a hope for the future. We're a diverse group of people in this room a diverse group of people who gathered together united in the son Jesus. That is what calls us or brings us together, the son. We come from many different backgrounds though. We have many stories. We gathered together today experiencing a variety of things, ups and downs, trials, pains, difficulties, um, glories, things that we love, things that we hate. Some of us are feeling the joy of life in Christ. We are feeling an appropriate longing of the Savior that tends to happen around this Advent Christmas season. And if that's you this morning, then I want to say praise the Lord. Cherish Christ this Christmas. Cherish Christ. Allow your heart to long for Jesus. Fan that flame. But that's not everybody's story. Others are gathering together this morning, coming into this room as the weary-hearted ones, as those who are hurting, experiencing pain, trial, loss, disappointment. So many things come crushing in, especially around the Christmas and holiday seasons. Please know that hope has appeared. And he has promised a full experience of hope. So your present experience of hope or lack of hope says nothing about whether or not you will experience hope in the future. Hope himself has come and he will get you home. He will bring you into your eternal inheritance. There is a second advent and Christ will return. He will return in glory and our adoption will become full and final. And we will receive our inheritance as sons. It is coming and it is not dependent on you. Christ already accomplished his adoption in you and he will ratify and bring it to completion one day. Be full of hope. 
As far as morning, primarily we've been talking to Christians, trying to help Christians understand who you are or who they are, who they will be. It's entirely possible that you're in this room and you do not know Jesus. And therefore, uh, it's entirely possible that uh, you have not repented of your sins and you do not know the things that we are talking about today. Know this, if you have not believed in Jesus, if you've not repented of your sins, if you've not trusted in him, wave the white flag, hoping in Christ and Christ alone, then the Bible says that you remain under the law and therefore in a state of spiritual slavery. You remain under the curse of the law. But Jesus The God-man, the one who condescended and took on flesh and lived a glorious, perfect life and died a substituting death upon the cross in our place stands before you, beckoning you, saying, come to me, believe in me, receive the benefits of my life and death in your place. Know me and enjoy me forever. If you want to know that Jesus, if you want to know what it means to be in Christ and to receive adoption as sons, future inheritance, then please come talk to me. Please come talk to somebody in Lanyard. We would love to explain what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to pray just a moment to close our time. Before I do, this is the last time we'll gather together uh, assembled on a Sunday morning before Christmas. We have a Christmas concert tomorrow night. I hope you come. Uh, or Christmas Eve service tomorrow night. I hope you come and enjoy that time. But this is the last time we'll gather like this before Christmas. And so I want to encourage, exhort you to three things. First, hope in Christ this Christmas. Hope in Christ this Christmas. Our hope has appeared. That is just an objective fact. And so I hope that even if you are not feeling that, that sense of hopefulness that because hope has appeared, that would be something the Lord uses to produce hope in you. Hope in Christ. You have a future inheritance and you currently get to enjoy your sonship in Christ. Two, be the hands and feet of Jesus. There are many people around you in this church, in our community, in the world at large who are in desperate need of help, practical help. And you can go and you can serve these people, bringing glory to the Son. We've referred to spiritual slaves and spiritual orphans a lot this morning, but the reality is there are actual slaves and actual orphans who exist in this world, needy people. And true religion looks like helping those sorts of people. And we can go, being compelled by this glorious gospel, as sons and daughters, as children of God, knowing our future, we can go and serve these people, showing them Jesus and bringing glory to the Son. Be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas season. Finally, pray for your church family. Pray for your church family. It takes me two seconds to look out into this crowd and see a lot of needy people, people who are in need of hope, people who are experiencing the full gamut of emotions, especially in a Christmas season like this. Pray for your church family. We are called to build one another up in love. to to bear one another's burdens. And one of the best ways we can do that is by going to the Lord on behalf of our faith family. And so I encourage you, pray for your church family this Christmas season. We need it, guys. With that, 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us together today. Thank you for the gospel, which says that you have redeemed us and you have not only declared us righteous and given us peace with yourself, Lord, but you have brought us near and made us sons. You have given us an inheritance, one that we will experience fully forever one day, Lord. Or would you overwhelm us with that and cause us to be full of hope and to live hopeful, expectant, dependent lives. Lord, I pray that as you work this in us, that Christ would be exalted and your church would be equipped and built up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.